Today, Amon and I are lucky to have the hardest working man in the business, the cricket badger, Andrew Leonard. Lenny, a sincere and exciting welcome to Big Innings. Thanks so much, you guys. Two of my favorite men I've met on my uh, my own personal cricketing journey, and it's been a long time coming, but finally, great to be here with you. Oh, absolutely. It has been a long time coming. Um, you're a tough guy to pin down, and it's not because you're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> the, the time zones certainly don't help. You're in Zimbabwe right now. Um, and then, of course, indeed. we had some network issues here, that which because of your status, your celebrity status, you were able to get that sorted out. Pretty sure I don't have any status in Zimbabwe here, but it's very kindly the team at the team hotel managed to get me onto a different Wi-Fi, which took me from one megabyte a minute up to about 80. So hopefully we'll be able to get the whole way through this podcast. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, you and I, we've been texting a lot over the years. We've talked. I've yet to meet you in real life, uh, but I consider you a friend what? of mine. Really? Yeah, we haven't met in real life. It's true. I did not know that. There we go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nate, this means you just so come, your personality comes through so much through text. He doesn't even have to see you in person. He just feels the energy I straight away. Genuinely didn't know that. Like, yeah, that's not a setup. I did not know that. That's well, I got it. I've got an effigy of you at the at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> Talk to it sometimes, sometimes shoot hoops with it, you know. But obviously you've worked with Amon in the past, uh, in particular during the USA-Ireland series, which we've talked a lot about on this program um, since it was USA's last T20 inter international that is not a World Cup qualifier, unfortunately, two whole years ago. You also did the Cricket World Cup League 2 with Amon at Musa Stadium, I believe. And yeah, we, we, we had two incredibly dramatic gigs together actually when you kind of really reflect <laughs> on it um having i don't think i've ever said this publicly but having somehow dodged covid for two years i got a batch of covid in musa um I, I literally all over the world everywhere i shouldn't have been in some of the worst hot spots and then right towards the end of the pandemic i, I felt i just got a real bad fever and was forced to test and uh yeah to sit out i think probably two if not four of the games maybe i'm on where I yourself I two, yeah. yeah rescued me uh, and then i was able to get back in the saddle um and then of course yeah it's back to the covid word let's hope it's the only time we mentioned it in this bro in this podcast but um then the ireland series yeah absolutely on a personal level and then for an organizational level for usa cricket was utterly devastated because it was absolutely the right thing for them to do to bring a full member over for the first time to I think we really saw, even within the shortened series, the two games, the potential for an American national team playing in a, like a commercialized environment under floodlights against a really good team, beating them once they should have won the series, being very frank. And yeah, it, it kind of gave us a taste of what could be for American cricket and what, what still can be. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's incredible to think there hasn't been much bilateral cricket at, at all since then. I still remember when Lenny called me uh, to to come down. Uh, I was actually trying on some of my dad's old clothes before he was going to donate them. He says, you got a phone call. And he says, it's Andrew Lennon. I was like, oh, give me this right now. Can take this shirt off me and give me the phone. And that was probably one of the coolest 24 hours because I went from, again, my house in Warsaw, North Carolina to down there in Florida again, like maybe I think three COVID tests along the way. And then uh, we beat Ireland all that that day too. So it was a crazy 24 hours. Lenny was gracious enough to let me share his room, get the pull out pull out bed from the couch and uh, plop down on that for for the night. So it was, it was a crazy experience there, but, you know, learned a lot from Lenny and been able to keep in contact. So big, cool to see you around the world. I remember watching anytime, anytime you're watching social cricket, it seems like Lenny's calling a game, especially if it's a qualifier. So it's, it's been cool to, to meet uh, him and be part of kind of his journey for a little bit. 
Uh, thanks, mate. I, 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 you do have a record as well. You're the first and only commentator I've ever shared a room with. Uh, that's true. <laughs> I would like to point out for all viewers, it was, it was. A, I, I don't say I was the only one with the suite, but it was an all suites hotel. So we did have a one of those kind of yeah. roll up over doors. So we were able to. But it was the first and only man. So uh, yeah, I mean, Amma did such an incredible job down there. Um, we were obviously scrambling to pull together lots of aspects of that um, series and that production at the very last minute with with really restricted budgets and the like. And and Amma, and I, yeah, I think you're right. You had a call one day and you had a flight the next morning and you got in for the night game. And what an incredible experience it was. And um, one shot, I just want to say about this shot again, there was two things stood out, the Marty Kane catch. And then that Gajanan Singh shot off the back foot over long off, which I absolutely butchered on the call and didn't know how to describe because I'd never seen a stroke like it before or since at any level. Uh, and you just got that, and particularly because USA had had rule outs with the, um, with the COVID. Like I think Stephen Taylor didn't play. I, I'm, I'm going to forget everybody didn't play. Well, four or five senior guys didn't play. So they kind of were almost forced to pick the likes of Yasser Mohammed of Vatsal Vagela and, and, it was like, this is how good America can be with their own yeah. homegrown, brought up lads. Citation Mukamala played. Like, it was like, wow, this is super exciting. And I was the most torn human in the planet because obviously I have a huge affinity with American cricket and we're playing against where I'm from. So yeah. I didn't know who I wanted to, but I certainly was so buzzed for America winning that first one. And they really should have won the series too, no? Yeah, you mentioned Gaj and, and Marty Kane. Those are the two things that stand out to me too like first of all i was stoked that i i love marty kane as a person i think everyone who's ever met him loves the guy he's just enthusiastic he makes everybody feel like they're the most important person in the room at the moment uh he's just full of of personality and he's a fun fun cricketer to watch he 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 does it with hustle he he never takes a a, a ball off in the field. He he wants every ball to come. If honestly, if I had my way, he'd get ten crazy catches a game too. Uh, but I think <laughs> I I think he you know in, in four or five reverse sweeps and in ramp shots and things like that. You know, if Marty's in the game, you can't miss it. And and then of course Gadjanon and that that line about. I remember thinking, wow, we're missing Steven Taylor and we got this many lefty bats, you know, <laughs> up and down the order still. It was, like you said, it was just showcased the potential of cricket in the USA like probably nothing has. Uh, so it was such an exciting time. Yeah, the final, just for very final point, there was the atmosphere when America won under floodlights and people, it's kind of, everyone in the world loves America. I, we're not going to get into politics in this podcast, but like the, the land of dreams, the land of hope, you know, that that's, Everyone aspires to, you know, the, the great things that America stands for. And you could not help but get caught up in the kind of the USA, USA that was being chatted in the crowd. There was a couple of vloggers that came in, might be wrong. I think they're from Las Vegas, who'd never been to a live cricket match before. Yeah. And they did this awesome behind the scenes vlog of what it was like to be an American at a cricket match for the first time and cheer on America. And then they won. And it was just like, well, hold on. It's actually... It's obviously always been talked about for decades as, you know, the next big thing in cricket. And you guys probably got a lot of that experience, I suspect, at MLC, which I, I was only able to follow a little bit because I was I was off commentating a different time zone. But you just got those kind of goosebumps of, wow, this is, this is the potential and the opportunity here. And for me, I love all kinds of cricket, but international cricket for me is always going to be the pinnacle. It's the thing I love the most by a distance so see usa beating ireland i think i think we had monang patel on bbc like the main bbc yeah. sports show the next day and i was like wow 
and like <laughs> the BBC interviewer was like, you, you guys have just beaten Ireland. And he's like, yeah, 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 we expect to beat them. <laughs> so more enthusiasm. It's awesome. This is so cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, really special memories of that. And obviously devastated the way it ended. But um, I really hope that that doesn't discourage American cricket or any other associates from the future, in the future, from pushing the boat out because that's what it was to get that series to happen to play against full members because you have to do things like that otherwise you're standing still it's evolve or die you have to have to do things like that and it was a once in a lifetime extraordinary set of circumstances and sadly it was one of probably the very final sporting events in the world cancelled by covid it was just really unfortunate that it came right at the end of that hopefully we'll never see that ever again and let's hope it's more stuff like that that can happen in the future Think back to that series, though, and I, there was an incredible drone shot uh, of the two captains before the series. What happened to that drone? Do you want to tell everybody? This wasn't on the, the prearranged list of questions. No, <laughs> um, yeah. So for those who maybe I'll just explain um, for those who are listening, uh, I kind of wore quite a few hats for quite a while. Uh, was that I'll give you the, the full story whenever you ask, but like I was at Cricket Ireland and then ICC. And then after ICC, I became heavily involved in the USA Cricket Project um, as a kind of freelancer, consulting into them, helping them with their media and their digital um, and their commercial and their strategy and their events. And like anything in any associate country, you wear multiple hats. You can't just go in and do the tweets. Um, and it was a, an amazing few years I was part of. You know, you look at someone like Ian Higgins, who's one of the best sports administrators in the world and, and what he brought to American cricket during the time that he was there. Um, and, you know, the great people you work with, Jamie Lloyd is still there. Kirk Higgins is still there. Judy Abbott is still there. Um, so worked with really excellent, awesome people and loved every second of it. But yeah, I was really probably doing too many things in that Irish America series and trying to push the boat out to make it the biggest thing that had ever been in American cricket up to that point. And I had my own personal drone and I thought it was a brilliant idea to try and get some, you know, we're in Florida, we've got beautiful white sand beaches. I'm not going to remember the name of the beach we went to, probably 25 minutes. We brought Monank, we brought Andy, we got a massive Stars and Stripes. It's got to be American, big and bold, and the Cricket Ireland flag over Andy's shoulders. Andy's a school a schoolboy friend, I've known him since he was six. And we brought them down to this really long pier, like 500 meters out. Really, you have to walk a long way out to it. And it was properly windy. I probably hadn't slept more than two hours the entire week. And uh, it also, I didn't realize this, but it, we were close enough to the probably Fort Lauderdale airport, the little Hollywood one, that we were in a no-fly zone. But the drones <laughs> give you like oh, seconds after you take off, even if you're in the no-fly zone, to get back. So I was like, oh, I have loads of time, three minutes to like nail this piece. I'll be fine. And all I wanted to do was like the two lads holding the flags out and fly over them and then like get it out on social media, be like, all right, they're playing American, Florida, it's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, I probably was coming a tiny bit low. I was never going to hit them. I was still like two yards over them. But Andy kind of panicked a little bit and was like, Len, it's coming at me, it's going to my head. And then I like panicked and pulled back rather than just keep flying over. And then the 180 second countdown has ended. And then it does, at that point, a drone does a forced landing. But the problem is, at this point, I'm out over the pier. I'm over the water, not over the pier anymore. <laughs> so the thing just started going beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? I'm going to lose it. I'm 300 meters from the sea. So it's like, in my head, in like haze of no sleep and panic for the event, I'll fly it through the tiny gap in the, in the like wooden things that had the pier. And I flew it into the thing, and it then <laughs> very slowly just 
into the water. The Atlantic Ocean has it now. I'm on to answer your question. T tallying up your your uh, fines right there, the flying in a no-fly zone and littering yeah. in the, yeah, it's pretty terrible littering, stuff. Yeah. What's the that? six or seven hundred dollars I paid for my own drone, I of course never got back. <laughs> but yeah, you did go all out to, to make that uh, special event. It was a special event. It was memorable. It was great listening to both of you on commentary for that. That was a special thing for me. Last week on the show, we were talking about Kamal Leverock and how the full member teams need to play against some of these associate teams a little bit more to to expose talent like Kamal to the world and to owners of franchise cricket so that these guys can get more professional opportunities not just not just them but the heck play more games against ireland we've seen uh bass the lady make a nice career for himself based on his performance in the world cup you shouldn't have to bang down the world cup's door to get the to get that kind of rep recognition it would be great to have more of these games so there's your justification for that usa versus ireland series trying to to play against a, a team that's going to get more you know that's going to get more eyes on the players it helps the players out to play against that competition at, at that level uh for exposure for for these types of leagues and stuff and india england should be playing ireland more you know, all these things could be yeah. solved by having a league by having an actual league yeah and look that that's i suppose where for, for any associate or emerging cricket world fan like like i would very much consider myself and there's so many of us out there the demise of the super league is is absolutely devastating and again i feel desperately sorry for the icc worked so hard to get that into place and then COVID hit to you know just kind of scupper it before it started now the great news is is that the cricket australia board have very much come out strongly and said that they want it back they need context behind their odis and their future series I'm not sure it's going to get back into this cycle between 24 and 27, almost certainly won't, but maybe there's a chance 27 or 31. Final point just to touch on it is that you referenced someone like Bermuda not getting the opportunity to play against higher ranked nations. There has to be a certain amount of pragmatism as to how you find ways to do that. And that's why I really hope people would never look at that USA-Ireland series and say, oh, well, you know, it lost money or it got cancelled by COVID, so you can't do it again. COVID stuff is gone, thank God. So... The pragmatism and the practicality behind that was Ireland were going to play a Cricket World Cup Super League series in the Caribbean, in Jamaica. Instead of arriving in Jamaica, not getting even maybe one practice game from the West Indies Cricket Board, and then going straight into a critical series for them, they were going to get five good games in very similar conditions in Florida against a, a good quality associate. And we all, you two will know, and probably all your listeners will know more so than ever, that the leading associates are better than they've ever been. And there's very few of them are pushovers, particularly for the lower ranked test nations, maybe against India and Australia and stuff. It's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. Still. But the logic behind that made all the sense in the world. And, and you know, what I would love to see more of, I know it's India now in South Africa, maybe they're not, they're not going to go to Vintuk, but like when England are going to South Africa, why are they not playing Zimbabwe? Why are they not get, getting in for two T20Is at the start of the tour against Namibia? So there's ways to do it that don't cost a rake load of money, that are actually massively cost effective and benefit the wider cricketing world hugely, but actually benefit the big board. And we know this from Ireland in a big way. And one of the things I was proudest of with that inaugural test we hosted against Pakistan um, back in Malahide in, in 20, 2017, 2018, actually, was that they went on to England after and won the test series against England. I was like, surely the penny's going to drop here. That Pakistan coming to Ireland, yes, they, they won reasonably comfortably in the end, but they were given a good run out. They beat us by six wickets, you know. That is perfect prep. It's so much better than any county game you're going to get or any any sort of first-class makey-uppy fixture. I think Pakistan just played the Prime Minister's 11 down in, down in uh, Australia. But like it doesn't even enter their compass right now that 
maybe Pakistan could actually play three white ball games in Port Moresby at Papua New Guinea in the exact same heat and, and conditions and the like. So I'm really hoping that that is going to start to be the way ever more so, particularly with that 20-team World Cup coming up this year, this year coming in June. And I'm sure we're going to talk lots about that. That, for me, is the most exciting cricket event there's ever been. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. This is such an exciting World Cup. It's, you know, I've said it before. I said it last week. I hope it's two steps forward and not three steps back to come. You know, so many times we see progress and then we see it unspooled. I think that this is a great opportunity. First of all, it's in the USA. Um, if you know, fingers crossed that that venue in uh, New York comes comes along. The um, but but either way, the bigger thing than that is the 20 teams like you said it's just we have uganda in a world cup for god's sake this is you you've done every qualifier for the world cup except for one the uh the one in png with bez and charles and Minnie. because you've been a part of all these you've been able to see the stories that have developed i mean that we should all be so aware of you know some really incredible stories in, in associate cricket for these these qualifiers. Africa won to me. Obviously, I'm thrilled that USA and Canada are both in the same World Cup. That's that's amazing. Uh, and hopefully it leads to a upcoming Audi Cup this year or next year or whenever. It's very, very shortly that's, that just goes on in perpetuity. But the Uganda uh, upset, it, it can't be called anything but that. It was an upset for certain. There's a full member involved in this. There's Zimbabwe involved in this. And Zimbabwe, as we've seen, over the last year, they are hot and cold. Some some days they look like the best the best team around, and then there's other days where, poof, we saw that in the in the 50 overs um, World Cup qualifier. They started the qualifier off looking like the team to beat, and then they ended it out of the World Cup, and now they're out of the World Cup again in the T20 World Cup. But this this Uganda thing, I remember seeing them uh, social media leading up to the qualifier, sharing videos of you know, dignitaries and, and politicians standing with the team, wishing them well, saying, we, we're, ex you know, we expect to see you in the World Cup when you get back, you know, a uh, place in the World Cup. And I remember thinking, mm, that would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, look, I think to reflect on the the four qualifiers, I was lucky enough to get around and do all of them. I think the ICC were keen to get a consistency of coverage and, and quality of coverage. Uh, given some of the challenges we have sometimes out in the road at pathway events um, and i was delighted to kind of block those out of my schedule uh, well in advance when they told me and they said look we, we can't actually do png because it's literally on at the same time as scotland and i said oh don't worry bez and, and charles amini will do a great job down there so um i can't speak about png one too much but to a certain extent that it's not because i wasn't there it just may have been the least interesting of the five because it very much went as you would expect and that's no disrespect to what was it, Vanuatu, Japan, and the Philippines. Papua New Guinea is still a good side. I know they lost ODI status. They were almost always going to qualify. You run that qualifier 100 times, they probably qualify 98, 99. You know, it, it was very, very expected. And I get a lot of stick from our, our mutual friend, from all three of us, from Peter Delapena, for the hyperbole that I use. But I assure you, each one of these qualifiers got more and more astounding as we went along. Um, the European one so nearly had a gigantic upset in the opening morning. Ireland should have lost to Italy, being honest. Two pieces of misfielding, a drop catch and, and one strange dismissal meant they lost by seven runs. The Irish boys will hate me for saying that, but they'll also know it's actually true. And if they'd won that, Italy could well have been at the World Cup instead of Ireland. Well, maybe Ireland would have turned it around and beat Scotland on the last day. Ireland, Scotland, probably playing one of the greatest T20Is I've ever seen in my life at the Grange to... 08 played 205 with 
market there somehow nearly pulling off one of the greatest twice of all time with 72 of 36. Uh, a really, really high quality game of cricket and what a crying shame it is that that was the last piece of cricket that Scotland have. And as of right now, they don't play again till I think it's March. They're, they're such a brilliant side with so many awesome players and they don't even have an active head coach right now and they haven't had any cricket for seven, eight months. Like that's, that's sorry, that's a slight by the by. Bermuda, 81 run victory over Canada on the opening day. Massive crowds all throughout all the games. Great atmospheres, amazing people in what is the most expensive island in the world, which I soon found out very quickly. <laughs> uh, literally the most <laughs> in the world. Awesome place though. Um, and then Canada somehow, they kind of outthought Bermuda through the next three games. It wasn't four because one day was washed out with a tropical storm. And got themselves into a position where all they needed to do was beat Bermuda in the final day, despite an 81-run net rate run out deficit in the first game. And that's 81-run both ways, remember. How Canada turned that around was, was quite phenomenal. Kalim Sana, what a bowler he is. I think we're going to see him in June and people are going to go, why is this guy not playing in every franchise league? Because right. very few people will have Bermuda. But I think when they see him at the World Cup, he, he's going to knock over, like let's say they draw Australia. He's going to knock over the, two of the top three. And everyone's going to be like, who's this bowler from Canada we've never heard of? Yes, and you the three of us will know him, but most people won't. Um, <laughs> so Canada qualified with Prabhu Dasanayak, amazing story. Then from there to Nepal, which obviously I have a gigantic soft spot for as a, as a nation, as a people, and then their cricket team I utterly adore as individual lads and also a collective group under Monty Desai and Rohit Powdell, two of the greatest people you'll ever meet in cricket. Yeah, they did almost everything wrong after completely dominating a tri-series, lost two of their five games and qualified. They won the crunch one against UAE. And this is a UAE side who in June had beaten New Zealand and beaten them properly, not like a fluke, like hammered them. With Mohamed Wazim, probably the best associate T20I batter in the world, maybe one of the top 15 T20, top 20 T20I batters in the world, bar none. He is an absolute gun. Bayan Khan, what a cricketer. He is Viridia Aravind. And then... Nepal won the critical match to get to the World Cup. It was very much the inverse of the year before where they won four from five and didn't qualify such of the vagaries of the different qualification systems are used. And then it was all topped somehow despite 30,000 fans and a super over in the TU International Cricket Ground for the final game, which didn't matter between Oman, where Oman got over the line against Nepal because both sides had qualified. It was then all somehow topped in Vintuk by the most romantic beautiful, brilliant Uganda story that I get a lot of stick for how much I love Nepal and and for some reason videos of me crying on air continually come up. But I was in, I mean, floods of tears. I I, I don't know if you saw the end of it because again, you can't watch it back sadly on ICTV. I couldn't talk when they went out, about six or eight fans had flown from Kampala off their own money, saved up money for like 18 months to come to watch this. And they went over to celebrate with them, the whole squad. And they were dancing together, led by the head coach, interim head coach, Jackson Ogwan in the middle. The, the guy I was with was a lovely guy. He's a current player, Lohan Lawrence. He's only 24, so he's quite an inexperienced broadcaster. I couldn't talk. I, I, I was like, I think my last words were, I can't say anything else. So I put the mic down. I'm in floods of tears because it was, it was like one of the greatest sporting things I've ever seen in my life. Like the culmination of... 10 plus years of dreams. In Frank and Zabuga's case, the culmination of four separate decades of playing international cricket. David in 1997. Like, these, are, these aren't just great cricketing stories. These are the best sporting stories in the world. Like we've already got the Afghanistan thing, which is a narrative unlike any other in the sporting world. And I just think Uganda are going to be 
well, saying they're going to be the Jamaican bobsleyers would be doing them a disservice next year. They're going to be so much more than that. And that's no disrespect to the guys from Cool Runnings. They are going to be such a good story. Them, Nepal, Namibia are excellent. Netherlands are wonderful. Scotland are such a good side. We've got nine associates from 20. There's no preliminary stage. There's no group stage. This, for me, is going to be the best World Cup there's ever been. Oh, 100%, man. That was such a great summary. I don't think we could have got a better summary of all of the <laughs> qualifiers than what we just got right there. I'm blown away because- I felt like I was yes. in a 30 for 30. Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Look, we followed these things as they happen. I feel like the ICC doesn't do enough job, a good enough job promoting these accomplishments as they happen on their social media because, yes, we just move on to the next one, move on to the next one. And sometimes it's not that you forget them. It's just that you're moving on to the next thing all the time in cricket. You always are. But when you have the time right now at the end of all of these to look back and just frame them for what they were, which was what you just did right there. Talk about the the amazing accomplishments from some of these smaller nations and, and all of these great games. That was so good. I, I really like that. I feel like we need to make that into like a five minute clip there and just anybody who needs to know what happened, listen to that and, and, you, and you got a good summary of You've got everything. Got to allow me to add a piece and say the Papua New Guinea story is an awesome story as well. But it was just a little, I wasn't there, so I, I can't quite explain it as well. Maybe Bez can sub in and explain that because there will have been massive crowds in Port Moresby. There'll have been dancing, there'll have been passion. And I used to say this when I worked at the ICC. And I used to, I won't name specific names of very senior members of staff. I used to debate this with genuinely. And it, it was always one thing that was always encouraged within the, the staff was, you know, collective discussion and debate from all the different backgrounds we're from because it was, a wonderfully diverse staff. I mean, all four corners of the, the globe were, were, were in there in Dubai. But the one thing I, I don't think I could ever stop trying to get across to guys who were maybe from, let's just say they're from Australia, India, England, South Africa, trying to explain to them what it's like to qualify for a World Cup for a team that's never qualified for a World Cup before is close to impossible because they've been at every single World Cup that, that there's ever been. Okay, I know the West Indies had to qualify this year. They missed out. I know Sri Lanka had to go to qualify for the first time since the 80s, and they got there, et cetera. But they don't even have to qualify. They get there automatically by, by, by product of their rankings. And I'm not, actually, I'm not suggesting that Australia and New Zealand need to go back to the East Asia Pacific qualifier. They don't. I don't think that's actually going to be necessarily beneficial or productive, New Zealand playing sure. the Philippines and beating them in the runs or whatever. They don't know how big a deal it is, A, to get there, but almost be in kind of in a bigger way. And the West Indies fans will know this better than anyone. The heartbreak of missing out, Zimbabwe fans. And it's like, yeah. if you don't understand that, then it's really hard to get across the joy of, of an enhanced World Cup and enlarged World Cup, the correct size. We've got a 20-team World Cup that starts in June in your home country and down in the Caribbean. It's bigger than it's ever been. More critically for me, there's no preliminary stage. There's no group stage anymore. So you're, you're into an open draw. You're actually in the World Cup. You don't have the surreal aspect of we saw in Geelong or Hobart or, or Oman the year before where you're playing what you think is a World Cup game and is a World Cup game. And at the same time, there's a warm-up game between India and Australia. And the warm-up game's on the main TV channel and your actual World Cup game's on the second channel. They all come together now. Roger Mukasa is just as equal as David Warner. I'm like, right. how great is that? Dependra Tyree is just as equal as, as, as Jason Holder. Like everyone right. comes in together. They're all going to play warm-up games. We've got 55 matches. The brilliance of T20 cricket. I adore ODI cricket. It's actually maybe my favorite format of the three. But the brilliance of T20I cricket is you allow multiple games per day and you still retain the media rights value for the broadcasters. So one of the challenges that they faced to that, that Cricket World Cup recently concluded in India was if you had one, you generally have one game a day for like 
90% of the days and then some Saturdays they play to start one in the morning, start one in the afternoon. If you have one really bad game, what do the press write about for that day? They say, oh, yeah, well, yeah. stinker. Sri Lanka were balled out for 60. It was a stinker. This World yeah. Cup seems to be going on very long. Right. This World Cup, I think 25 days, yeah. which is shorter than 55 matches. We're going to have triple headers, definitely. There's no way to do it without triple headers. We may have yeah, a couple of days with four games a day. Yeah. Like, imagine the narratives, the stories we'd have in one day of cricket. Like, yeah. hey, I, I'm praying we get good weather, brilliant games, upsets. And I think we're going to get all that and more. And people are just going to be like, oh my God, how good is this an actual proper full World Cup? I'm praying that's going to be the case. I really think it is. It's the best looking World Cup. To me, the design of it is incredible. This is how it should be. This is how it should have always been. But this is how it is now. Going, uh, Hopefully going forward, hopefully this is such a smash hit. And like you said, T20 gives you that that flexibility. Look, cricket is being watched by people all over, all over the world. Time zones almost don't even matter because, you know, there's always a game on somewhere. We all know that. How much? How many years of our lives have we lost to sleep already, um, to lack of sleep? Just for watching cricket. Actually, this is something. What my hope for the future of Major League Cricket. In fact, we see the IPL. There's one game a day on Saturday. You might get a two game, two games. But with Major League Cricket, the fact that USA, United States of America, is split up into so many time zones. You know, you have the West Coast and you have the East Coast. You could have two games every single day of of the of the Major League Cricket. You really could. Just like there are with the NFL. They ha- they all have simulcasts, which I think is a great thing too. But hopefully, this World Cup sets the tone for that in the future. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on this World Cup too, uh, because because the first time we're going to see all these countries, right? I mean, we talked about it last week, Nate. Like, there's an opportunity for this World Cup to really set the tone and show people. You mentioned Lenny. It's hard to explain to people who don't watch associate cricket and watch kind of full members only from the biggest nations why we need to expand it. Because in their heads, well, if the biggest nations are going, well, it's going to win the World Cup. Well, now you get an opportunity where Uganda can, you know come in upset somebody where the usa can come in and upset somebody i think that's the beauty of this world cup and if if we're able to get a couple of those it just makes it okay maybe we should include more and more of these teams and it gets us to be more of a prolonged thing rather than if every associate team and every one of these lesser teams kind of shit the bed it's well here we told you so so i think there's a lot of pressure on what this world cup can be for the outlook of the next five but I think the Netherlands yeah. might have alleviated some of that pressure with their sure. performances in the in recent World Cups. Now, the Netherlands has, has looked at times as good as anybody. Yeah, and look, there will be cynics out there. There's no doubt. But I do think that that group stage with three games a day will help alleviate that because you should have at least one cracker out of those three each day. Also, how good the Cricket World Cup qualifier, which was here in Zimbabwe in, in June, July, was, that I think really helped. Um, you know, the Netherlands, Netherlands West Indies game, one of the best ODIs ever, bar none. Um, and, and plenty more aside from that. Oman beating Ireland. I thought the way Nepal played at points of that tournament was just stupendously eye opening for their potential for the future. But I think back to my point a second ago, which was what about those countries who don't know what it's like to never qualify for the World Cup, right? I'm going to give you one of my favorite World Cup games of all time. I bet you maybe the, the, the TV executives will say, well, no, there weren't that many people watching that. That's not a good hit. But look at what's happened since. Afghanistan played Scotland and Dunedin, and they won a game by all rights they never should have won. This is the 2015 World Cup. They had huge potential going into that tournament. They didn't quite deliver upon it, particularly with their batting. And Scotland had them dead and buried uh, till pretty sure it was uh, Samuel Shinwari got 98 or something like that. And then you had the big Shapur Zadran who looked like an Afghan warrior from 400 years ago with the tribal long hair. 
who could not bat to save his life. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. He was a marvellous left-arm pace bowler. Hitting the winning runs and sprinting all around Dunedin, falling onto his knees, just everyone losing their mind everywhere. Look at where Afghan cricket has gone in the nine years since that, eight years since that. I'm not saying Uganda are going to be Afghanistan in eight years. They won't. Yes, they, they could be in 20 or 30. Nepal could be. The way Namibia are playing right now, I think Namibia could get to the Super 8. Really would not surprise me. There's your dark. I've, I've made some outrageous comments on broadcast all over the world. I get a lot of stick for them about predictions. I predicted Uganda to qualify. I thought Uganda would qualify and everyone thought I was utterly insane, including my friends here in Zimbabwe. I didn't think it was going to be the expense of Zimbabwe necessarily, but I thought Uganda had a real chance of qualifying. And I think I think Namibia could well get to a Super 8. They're playing some of the best cricket I've ever seen. They're, they're outstanding. Scots could go well. Dutch could go well. I think Nepal will be one of the stories of the tournament. They should definitely win their first World Cup game. What is that going to be like? That's going to be, my God, that's going to be incredible. Yeah. Oh man, we haven't even mentioned yet. They've got four. Aki Vilias is one of the best players I've ever seen with my own two eyes. He's a freak. And he's done it all coming back from what was a life-threatening illness. 80% of the cricket world may not even know who he is and definitely won't know his story. They're going to find that out in June. And that for me is massively exciting. Well, as we approach June, there's some predictions for you folks. We get Bet365 to sponsor us. You'll be our guest again. We'll talk about this all over again. <laughs> the thing with Afghanistan is... Yes, they've risen from from that 2015 experience. They've they've become a very very good team today, a team that still doesn't seem to get the credit they deserve. We we saw them this last World Cup. People were writing about how it was the biggest upset ever because they beat England, right? And then England go on to show that they were really poor. Uh, and and I remember a lot of us, all those of us who care about associates, care about the full members that are, you know, kind of left behind. So many people were like, how is this a big upset? We're not surprised that this happened. Like Afghanistan has some of the most sought after cricketers in the world in franchise cricket. Yes, it's a different format. Sure. These guys know what they're doing. They're good cricketers. They're, they're a phenomenal cricket team. And so it, it wasn't an upset. And thankfully, we we then had just a couple of days later, we had Netherlands defeat uh, South Africa, who was at the South Africa was phenomenal. The more we get into these more inclusive World Cups with 20 teams, and like you said, there's no play-in games. This is all a group. We're going straight to the groups. Popular sports writers, the people who cover the full members, the big full members, will understand that these are legitimate cricket nations. You know, the, the, the term minnow should just be thrown out the, out the door. We have to give recognition. It makes them look ignorant otherwise to, to be like, oh, Afghanistan beat England. Oh, my gosh. No, no, come on. They're a good team. They, you know, this shouldn't be that surprising. 55-45, they would have won that game. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's not like... 90-10. It's like... Those conditions. Those conditions, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. There's a couple of things I want to touch on there, right? So firstly, you're spot on. The word minnow should be thrown in the bin. We're not the only sport that's guilty of that. Rugby rugby uses that very heavily and and, and wrongly so at points. I sometimes get asked when I'm out on the road or, or on social or whatever, I get asked about the use of the term associate. And I think that's something that's really good to touch upon just for a second because... I use it as an empowering word. I use it as a word. So in essence, that the the dictionary definition of it is there are four members of the ICC, the 12 that are the, the big guns at the table, and the 10 traditional ones, Ireland, Afghanistan, Sandy alongside them. And then we've got the whatever it is now, I think it's probably 94, 95 associates. And there was a period probably four or five years ago when all of the changes were going on in the ICC and they were like, well, some people were saying, well, why, why are we referring to them as a different word? I try to use it as an empowering word because 
of what they achieve, men and women and boys and girls within those countries with significantly less resources, infrastructure, facilities, opportunities. And I actually think it's a massively impairing thing. And that's why I love associate cricket. Like mm -hmm. the sacrifices that almost every single one of those players gives up to chase their dreams, men and women, is truly awe-inspiring. And that's why I find covering a lot of these events overwhelmingly emotional. And it, it, it's the best stories in world cricket. Like it just is. It m might not have the same scale of eyeballs on it as, a, as an India game or as an Ashes series um, at all, or, or a PSL game or a whatever other franchise league, insert name here, is. And it doesn't get the same scale of media coverage and it doesn't get the same scale of interest necessarily. But I, I know from knowing both sides of the bond and working at the elite levels within the ICC that these are the best stories in our game. And I'm a glass half full man, as you both know. I like to see the positive side of things. I think that if you look at where we were four years ago in the previous right cycle, both in terms of cricketing structures and coverage, it was light years away from where we are now. We'd all like it to be better. We'd all like the broadcasts to enhance and increase. We'd all like the amount of articles and, and media coverage to be higher. But we are so much further along from where we were four years ago. And I'm hoping that will be again the case in, in four years' time. So I don't like to dwell on 2015 and 2023 and go, oh God, I was devastated. There was two 10-team World Cups. I'm going, hold on, look at this next eight years. And thanks to the ICC structures, they're, they're better prepared than ever these associates. Cricket World Cup League 2 and the Challenge League beneath it and all of the T20 pathways for the 70 or 80 countries that participate in it are some of the best innovations in cricket in history. Because all of a sudden, you saw that Cricket World Cup qualifier, the ODI qualifier, so clearly here in Zimbabwe. You would battle hardened teams that have played 36 ODIs over the course of two and a half years in seven different conditions going to Zimbabwe. And I had no surprise that Ireland were beaten in, in some of those games. No surprise the West Indies were beaten. I was talking to Ian Bishop, who was an absolute pleasure and an honour to sit with in the commentary. And I was going into that Dutch game. I said I thought the Dutch would win. And he looked at me like I had 15 heads. I swear to God. And I did not. I'm not. I'm not. It, it, this is a completely different set of associates to the ones that played in 2011. Look at 2011, the World Cup, with due respect to Canada and Kenya. At that time, Ireland just about did enough to make the headlines and beat England and keep the associate kind of story alive there. But if you look at who was the who was the fourth associate there? I'm trying to even think. Canada, Kenya, Ireland, the Netherlands. Netherlands did okay in a couple of games. They were mainly Ryan Tendershadi, who was basically a county pro. The associates from 2011 to 2024 are light years apart. And and there will be somebody who is going to get a very, one of the major test nations, they had a very rude awakening, whether in, in Florida, in Texas, in New York, or in one of the Caribbean countries come June, I promise you that. And I, I remember you telling me, Lenny, uh, down in Musa, uh, and this when you talk about associate cricket, you tell me, associate cricket's different. There's so much more gritty than uh, full member cricket. It's, there's you got these guys who are fighting just to get to the field, let alone fighting on the field. And then you don't know the conditions, playing back to back ODIs in the Pearland heat where it's 110, there's humidity all over. And I think that was uh, the first time I ever heard anyone kind of say that to me, you could quantify that for me. And then the more you watch, you're like, yeah, he's right. They, they don't, there's a little bit, there's something different about this. It's what, the way they talk about college sports versus pro sports here in the States. It's, Something different about having to fight to get to the field and then fighting on the field versus here you go, you're on the field, time to play. 
it's a, it means a little bit more. I think that's kind of how associate cricket is compared to those full member world. Actually has context. You add context to anything, all of a sudden it's more interesting. We just had the most awesome, I really don't want to disparage the series I'm here covering because Ireland is a bad boy cricket's always brilliant. So the most awesome T20 series here this week. I don't know when this is going to be released, but uh, Ireland won a series 2-1. Uh, first, first game went to the last ball. Second game went to the second last ball. Third game easily could have gone to the last ball, but Ireland just pulled away at the last second, having been 30 for four. Awesome. But like, it's a 2-1 bilateral series win. What, what's right. that mean? It's great prep yeah. for Ireland for Jim. Pretty looking forward to it. But like, come the return of Cricket World Cup League 2 in, in February in Nepal, I know game one is just worth the same number of points as game 36 in that league. And as we saw from the Nepal story, winning 11 from their last 12 and somehow getting through that league, I still don't know how. Um, there's just, when you add context to it, it's so brilliant. And two final really quick points. You're spot on, man, with what you say about the, the pressure cooker of associate cricket. But then you add into it, people can never understand why those who drop down, if you will, from a full member to an associate, whether it be by residency or some kind of ancestry, they're like, oh, well, he was a brilliant first-class player in Pakistan or South Africa. He averaged 40. Why is he not coming in and dominating associate cricket? So few players do. You could probably name them on one hand, Ryan Tendershade being one example of. There is very, very few examples of guys who come in. Some get there eventually once they learn how gritty and tough associate cricket is. And then my final point, this is more of a bit of a joke, but I did see a big bash game cancelled this week. Uh, abandoned for a, an unsafe pitch. <laughs> I saw this and couldn't uh, believe it. I'm pretty sure they didn't watch. I, I'm not going to say where we just were for one of the qualifiers. Don't know the name. Call the nation name. I'm pretty sure they weren't watching some of the stuff that we do at the associate level because <laughs> that would have been just get on with it. You played a bad shot. It bounced over your bat. So they go through it in much more difficult conditions. Harry Tector made a point to me yesterday. Sorry, on Sunday. I know this was a brilliant point I've ever heard someone say. He was showing me his new bat, two pound nine, absolutely beautiful bat. I hope you won't mind me telling the story. And I said, God, that's lovely, Harry. I said, you might have I used to love smelling bats as a kid. So, God, beautiful. It's came to the grain, seven grains across. I said, what's that? And he goes, like, hopefully I don't get the name wrong. I think it's an SG. I said, like, oh, God, that's beautiful. And he goes, do you know what always struck me, Lenny? It's so unfair that the guys who have the least get to play with the worst kid. I said, what's your yeah. Well, I was just thinking about Uganda qualifying and it's like, you know, they, the guys at the top of the IPL are nine bats and they're all free and they're all the best bats in the world. They, they don't need those ones. They're brilliant already. <laughs> I just thought that was a fascinating point. I never really thought about it. I was like, God, he's, he's so right. Even They even have the advantage of the kit, the, the very best players in the world, the IPL guys, the big bash guys. So it's kind of that haves and have-nots, and it's the grittiness. You use that word perfectly, Emma. The grittiness of associate cricket that makes it, and then the context you said, Nate, that makes it so absolutely brilliant to watch. Oh, we've seen that here in the U.S. When 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 a big player, Amon, you've probably seen this. After just Karn hit those six sixes, he had a bag full of bats, right? <laughs> like of course uh, he did. And I I saw him and he was showing them to me and they were beautiful and they were unlabeled, but I, I don't remember what, what brand that they were. They were fantastic bats. They, you know, it, they were just different than, than anything I had really seen. I, I remember some of the young youngsters around here looking at his bats being, wow, look at this. This is something else. And I think with the influx of all these full members from, uh, from, from major league into the USA, we've seen a lot of that too. It, it, and what it's done is kind of like, 
you know, locally, you want to buy a bat, you go to a guy, you get it out of a storage unit or something, and it's wrapped in plastic. And, you know, everybody always promises you how, how amazing it is, right? And it's like, the bat's this thick, and it weighs two pounds seven. And you're like, yeah, that's going to break eventually. It's so dried out or so, whatever. You know, there's there's all kinds of little schemes going on or whatever. But when you see some of these fellas show up with their, their top quality bats, you really do see the difference. You know, this is why in associate cricket, sometimes, like you said, the, a lot of these full member players come and they average 21 or something or two, between 19 and 21 seemed to be the sweet spot for every or seemed to be what every American batter you would, you would go to look at who should we put in the team well everyone's averaging 20 on the nose and you know so if you get up to 26 27 now you're talking about a, a good batter in associate level cricket you know it's it's a different story because because of that the wickets aren't they're just not flat roads that's one of the reasons why I think that there are really four formats of cricket internationally. There's T20, which everyone plays. There's there's Test, which only a few people play. And then there's full member oh, ODI cricket, which I almost cannot stand. And then there's associate member one-day cricket, which is incredible. I, I feel like there's yeah. four, four different formats of cricket because that associate one-day cricket is much more like a one-day test than yeah. at the full member level. You're going to get seven, eight wickets per Per innings, you're going to get so many times. How many times do have we seen USA leave three run, three, leave three balls on the table uh, at the end of their opening innings and end up losing by just a couple of runs because another team, the, the team that they're facing, can can play the full fifty. I actually went through. I don't know why I was doing it the other day. I, I went through the Cricket World Cup League too, just literally the entire Wikipedia entry of every scorecard. And obviously, Papua New Guinea had a really hard run, and I think it's. It's unfair to be harsh on them, given that they played all of their series away, barring one. And we have no idea. Like we all, I can't believe I mentioned COVID again, but we all did it tough during COVID in different parts of the world. Papua New Guinea did it significantly tougher. Those guys hadn't even seen each other for eighteen months, and then were basically thrown back out to play. I think it was twenty-four or twenty-eight ODIs in in the course of a very short period of time. So I don't think that's a fair reflection of their cricket. Um, but if you exclude them from it, and actually they lost quite a lot of close games as well, funnily, even though they lost a rake load of their 36. There was so few one-sided games in that Cricket World Cup League 2, and I would expect it to be the exact same in the next cycle. And it's only going to get better because in theory, again, with great respect to Papua New Guinea, Canada will be an uplift from them in terms of quality. Canada will be very capable of beating all seven opponents, and then the Netherlands come down into it. And if the media reports are to be believed, it's going to be Nepal, Netherlands and Namibia in Kathmandu to kick it off in February. Like, I'm so looking forward to that that renewal of that series. That sounds fantastic. Once again, that was something that was spilled out by uh, by Nepal ahead of the ICC um, announcing it, which which was kind of a, a funny thing there. But it's just it's just a reflection of the passion for the game. If you ask me, in Nepal, they can't wait to get the news out to their We're too to excited. Their Not to announce it. Too <laughs> yeah, right. More power to them. More power to them. More. Speaking of Nepal. You have a really special relationship there. It's got a special place in your heart. Ever since, I remember years ago seeing you, it might have been one of your first trips there, but uh, you were well-received. You raved about it from the start. First of all, being able to go to an associate game and seeing that many people crowding into a, a space, hanging from trees, doing whatever they can to see a game is just absolutely inspiring to me. And Amon as well. We're yeah. North Carolina folks. So we get to see Church Street Park and we know how people crowd into there. They love watching their cricket. To me, I'd, I'd rather be in that environment than in a stadium. 
you know, in, in like a proper stadium with, with, with seats, you know, I would rather be in that environment. That's kind of like, you know, the lights on at, at church street. Anyways, so you got the lights on people under the lights, sitting on the hill, uh, just enjoying, enjoying cricket, squeezing in where they can, trying to find the best seat that they can find uh, the best place to view. I tell you what, that's an experience that I hope that's a bucket list experience for me. Then Nepal, you would be being able to go there for these events. You must feel boiled in a way. Yeah, look, ab- absolutely do. I've been asked on quite a few different things, particularly in, in Nepal, where, where I do, do quite a lot of interviews and because cricket is just so, so popular there. And, and I do a huge amount of cricket there. I think of it over 20 trips now. And they always ask me, what, why is there a special relationship between you and the Nepal fans? And I've answered it so many times. I don't think I've ever nailed it. But the more I think about it, the, I absolutely love cricket. It's my life. It's everything to me. And I'm, I'm so lucky to have it. To, to work and travel the world in something I love. Nepal absolutely loves cricket, the, basically the entire nation. And um, nothing brings the nation and unifies them together like the fortunes of their national teams. And I think that's all I can kind of pin it down to. As Like I obviously have a massive passion for the sport. It's, I, I guess, hard to miss that from like anyone I meet. One of my favorite stories is my ex-girlfriend who we went out for seven years with my 20s who had no interest in cricket at all when we started going out and now is now you know 10 years on married with kids and is still an avid fan now purely from having had me in her life for a while so um yeah look we share a passion for the sport that is 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 unbreakable and the enthusiasm for the sport within nepal is unmatched in my opinion but definitely anywhere in the associate world. But being frank with you, let's forget about associate or full member for a moment. I think the scale of passion for cricket there is very unique and unlike anywhere else. It may be a little bit like what Bangladesh was like maybe 20 or 30 years ago, um, and probably to a certain extent the way India is across most of the country and Pakistan and parts of Sri Lanka too. But And I'd add Zimbabwe to that list actually here as well. It's, it's remarkable, the passion for cricket here, the fans. But the difference is, is that there's been uh, obviously some historical challenges. They're, they're, they didn't have international cricket for quite a while. They certainly didn't have a lot of this. And now all of a sudden they've not only got it, but also have success and a team that they can get behind. It's like this perfect storm. And I actually think it's helping lift the entire nation up. And it, it's it's going to help rise that nation to a point where it should be. It is the most special country with the most brilliant, kind sweet people that I've ever met in my life, amazing food, amazing culture, amazing music, amazing passion, kindness. Like I I can't explain how special the place is. And I don't think this is a a story anymore for just associate cricket or just Nepali cricket. I think this is maybe that gonna be the best story of the 2020s, the decade for for the world game of our of cricket. And if they do what I think they could do in the USA and the Caribbean in June. I'm not going to make any predictions or to put any any weight on their shoulders. They're going to be telling th- their next chapter. And it is, oh, it gives me goosebumps even just thinking about them and, and where they're going to go over the next 10 years. As long as they keep the structures they have and they keep uh, Monty Desai in charge, they keep Robert Powell there, uh, the potential is, is ludicrous. And they are the best ambassadors you'll ever meet in your life. You can't help but like these guys and and love their story. And then you stick in the most passionate fans in the world, 30, 35,000 of them hanging out of the trees around the ground. Uh, and this is all associate via associate cricket. 
like what is going to happen when the West Indies go there? Or is it about where Ireland go there or Pakistan go there? It's going to be bonkers. Yeah, I adore them. I don't know how it's become such a massive part of my life, but I'm so grateful. I love it there. Yeah, Amin, we have some Nepalis in our local cricket league. Very enthusiastic for cricket. I love being around them. I have a Nepali restaurant up the road for me, which I go to. So I go in there and I'll talk to them about what what the latest thing is every once in a while. And uh, it's just, it's fun because they're always, they're always up and they're always in the know about what's happening. Look around the world. The working class of Nepal doesn't have it that great. They work a lot of hours. They work almost every day. They work six days a week. And the fact that they still make time for this, this game, uh, to me, it just goes to show that really is the, that's to me, the exclamation point on this, you know, it, they work so hard and they still have to make time for, to, to go watch these important games. Uh, it's such a priority. Yeah. And I, I look, I'm not glossing over the challenges they have as a nation in, in terms of, you know, infrastructurally and, and, uh, economically and, and socio-politically as well, but just the individual, the average Nepali you meet are some of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. And then you stick in that shared passion for cricket that clearly I have and clearly they have. Yeah, I, I, I find it really hard to get across what it's like there and how incredibly overwhelming it is every trip I go there. I often come away from them physically and, and emotionally exhausted, but I, I really hope that I can keep going back and I really hope they'll keep having me back. I had a lovely, second time mentioned Ian Bishop, um, I find it really hard to balance how much to post on social media. I'm not a if it was up to me, if I wasn't a commentator, I would have nothing on social, like literally nothing. Um, but I guess for me to make my way in this commentary world, I have to have something of a profile. Um, so I find it really hard to balance as to how much to post and I find that a lot of bit uncomfortable. But I, I stuck out a very, I don't, you'll probably see that most of the things I post don't usually involve me. It's usually a, a view of something I'm seeing or I prefer those ones. But I stuck up a video of like um, just the crowd. It was a Wednesday morning. The games were at nine o'clock in the morning and Nepal played three of their five fixtures as the morning games. Like small things like that are very frustrating, you know, but that's the lack of prominence it's given that points to the scheduling and the, the structures or not the structure. Structures are great. The scheduling and the, the timing of them. But uh, I put up a little video of like the 20,000, 15,000 people who are there at nine o'clock on a 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning for a critical game against Oman. And Ian Bishop, I'm sorry to drop his name again, but Ian Bishop sent me a tweet, which I was really touched by. Like, I'm, I can't remember the exact wording, but he said something. He said something like, "Inspiring scenes. Um, please keep telling their story to the world," or something like that. I probably got the wording completely wrong. He would have said it said it infinitely more eloquently than I just did. And and that to me, like that kind of struck me. I was like, "There's actually such a power in what we do in terms of as commentators or as as as." broadcasters or people who are out there trying to spread the good word about our game and the importance of it and you know to have someone like Ian Bishop explain that importance to you was was um yeah it was quite crystallizing for me in terms of just how important it is what we all do and what you guys do in America there to try and get the game out to the wider public so uh, yeah that was that was pretty humbling to be honest and yeah I'm, I'm just I'm I'm certain they are on Afghanistan's trajectory, and in the 2030s, if you guys have me back on in 10 years, we'll be talking about their win over England. Oh, no doubt. And I have Bish's uh, tweet right up. I brought it up here. It says, "Keep telling their story and lifting them up with your excellence, bro." Very nice of him to recognize that. Of course, you put a couple of emojis, some prayer emojis, um, there. But yes. You know, you you mentioned him. He's another one of those guys that just seems to love cricket so much that just to me coming into the game at the point in time when I did 2015 was when I started following cricket. And when I came in, Ian Bishop to me 
in so many ways is kind of the voice of cricket to me at least of, of the the bigger events and stuff so yeah just a, a passionate guy that was part one of our two-part chat with cricket badger andrew leonard stand by for part two which i'm hoping will go out on monday and good luck to all the associate players listed in this year's pakistan super league auction <laughs>